I'll invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 with me today. We're speaking to our children in our family series. Uh, We spoke to wives, then we spoke to husbands. We spoke last week to parents. This week, uh, I speak to children. Now, parents don't tune out for a couple of reasons. Uh, One of the first reasons why is because uh, as you are helping your children prepare for excellence, remember last week, we talked about the fact that parents, it is your job to nurture and admonish your children. And much of what what, what you are nurturing and admonishing in are the elements of excellence that we'll talk about this week. Uh, also, don't tune out children because, um, or parents, because you are also children, right? Uh, everyone here was born of someone, and we are going to talk about the various aspects of children as it relates to their parents under their authority, but then we are going to go into the concept of, um, of honoring your parents, which is something that the Bible leaves no statute of limitations upon, uh, that honoring your parents is not something that ends uh, when you leave home. It's not even something that ends when they pass away, as we uh, would look in the scriptures at the legacy of, of honoring those that have gone before. Now, those of you who have spent any bit of time interacting with me and my children will know that uh, when our younger children uh, are tired and perhaps they fall, da- fall down and, and there's really nothing wrong, but they begin to cry or one of our little ones uh, uh, is offended for some reason and they begin to cry, I'll say something to the effect of, it's a hard thing being the baby, right? And uh, they're crying. They're, they're, they're acting as if their world is ending when in fact all they did is lose a shoe or all they did is uh, scrape a knee or all they did was uh, um, you know, brother or sister took their hat or something and the world is ending. And, and so I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek when I look at one of my children and say it's a hard thing being the baby or it's a hard thing uh, uh, being small. And, and I do mean it sarcastically. Children's emotional responses are dramatic because their experiences are limited. Whereas an adult considers the limited and and, and minimal cries of a child to be disproportional to their response, um, and though my response is generally sarcastic when I would say something like that, if you think about it, to them, with their particular age and, and context in life, the things that are happening to them are a big deal. Being, being a child has significantly fewer cares in that, at least with children that have stable homes and such, they don't have to worry about jobs and food and money and these sorts of things. But it doesn't mean that being a child is actually easy. Parents look at the trials of children and we say, wow, I w- could wish that those were the only troubles I had, right? I could wish that the only troubles I had were, were having to make sure that... that uh, uh, I, I did the few number of chores that I've been asked to do or, or having to make sure that I uh, brush my teeth and, and make my bed in the morning. And, and it does seem relatively small when you're paying bills and you're going to work and you're running a household and all of these things. But it is hard to be a child. And one of the reasons why it's so hard to be a child is because they're learning so much. These, uh, the, the years of... of Young children are, in many ways, the most important years of their lives. Now, last week, children, you heard me tell your parents just how important it is for them to do their part in helping you become godly and prepared adults. And that is the job of parents. It's to raise your children, to raise them on purpose, to prepare them for the world into which they are going, to prepare them spiritually to be the next generation of the church. That's, that's the parent's job. That, that needs to be the goal that is on your mind, parents, when you're doing what you're doing. And to whatever you're doing with your children, you ought to have these goals in your mind. But children, you have a responsibility as well. And it is one which is going to ask you as you grow to have faith and to trust in God and to trust in God as it relates to your parents and their authority. So today I do speak to our children and and I go in those two different directions which I've alluded to already. First, I am going to speak to our our younger children, those that are still under the authority of your parents who are still in the home and and still living under that authority. And then we'll also uh, broaden that and just speak to uh, all of you who are your parents' children, which is everyone. And we're going to talk uh, about 
our relationship to our parents as we get out of the house, as we formulate our own families, as we step under, out from underneath the umbrella of their authority. Now we begin with the obvious. In Ephesians chapter 6, that's where I asked you to turn this morning, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, the command is given to children after Paul talks to wives and to husbands about their roles and responsibilities in marriage. Beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, we see wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then it goes on to say, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And Paul begins to speak about the interplay between Jesus Christ and his church and the interplay between husbands and wives and how wives are intended to align themselves with their husbands and husbands are intended to to uh, uh, give themselves unto their wives. And Paul says at the end of Ephesians chapter 5, he says, this is a great mystery in verse 32, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence, respect, submit unto her husband. And that goes directly into then, we, we move directly into then Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, speaking to children. Children, your mom and dad each have a responsibility in the home. Your father leads the home, he makes sure the home is provided for, he takes care of the family, he sees that the children are taught, he loves your mother. Your mother is your father's helpmeet. Your help, her, uh, his helper in these things, doing all the things necessary to see that the home is successful and that the children are well, are, are, are cared for and taught. Children, your parents have a great deal of responsibility in the home. And the biggest part of their responsibility is you. Making sure that you are cared for, making sure that you are protected, and making sure that you are prepared to go out into the world as an adult. And your responsibility in this, as unto the Lord, children, is to obey your parents and to honor your parents. Now, these are two different things. One, as I mentioned, ends when you're released from their direct authority, at least as far as obligation is concerned. The other remains. As we talk about obedience in verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And we begin speaking to children about this command to obey. Children, you all know what obedience is. It's doing what your parents tell you to do, and it's doing it when your parents tell you to do it. This is obedience, doing what you're told to do, doing it when you are told to do it. Now, we say that, you know what it is to obey, just like your mom knows what it is to submit to your dad and your dad knows what it is to love your mom. Just like all Christians know that we should be kind, just like we all know that we should tell the truth, just like we all understand uh, that we should not be angry, just like we all understand that we should not steal and that, that we should uh, obey any of the other number of things that the Word of God tells us to do. You are commanded as a child to obey your parents. And we have a couple of very important things to understand about this idea of obeying your parents. Now, as we've talked through this whole series, we have related this series to design, that God has a way that he has designed this world to function, and that it is not our job, nor is it our responsibility, to have to go through this world figuring it all out for ourselves, because God has given us his word. And in his word is his design. And if we can identify God's design and align with God's design, then what we will find is that we will be generally successful because we have aligned with God's design. So we, we have mentioned this, particularly in that first message about uh, government and uh, a boss and the police and the elders in a church. All of us have authorities in our lives. Children, you need to understand that there will always be people that have authority over you. You will spend the rest of your life obeying authority. It is not as if 
The day that you go, the day that you leave the house or the day that you get married, all of a the sudden there's no more authority over you. All of a sudden you can do what you want. You will always be under authority. And not only all of these earthly authorities I just mentioned, but children, you are always going to be under God's authority. And to cultivate a mindset of obedience to authority is not just something that will help you as the child of your parents. It is going to help you for the rest of your lives understand how to relate yourself to God's ordained authorities over you and understand how to relate yourself to God himself. Obedience is not something that ends when you grow up. Your whole life is going to be about you obeying God, you following God. God says it, and you either do it or you don't do it. God is your authority, just like your parents are your authority, just like the government has authority, just like the church has authority, different realms of authority. But obedience, if you can learn to obey now, not ju- it's not just about your parents. If you can learn to obey now, it is going to help you be successful for the rest of your lives. But here's the other important thing we need to think about when it comes to obedience. Obedience is not easy. Whether we're talking about obeying your parents or whether we're talking about adults obeying government or their boss or the elders in a church or even obeying God, obedience is not something that people are very good at. Why is that? Why is it so hard to obey? Well, it's hard to obey because people want to do what they want to do. Obedience is not an easy thing because we all have sinful hearts, and at the root of our sinful hearts is rebellion. Rebellion is when we, go, we act contrary to our authorities. So when I look at my children in frustration, I say, why can't you just obey? Well, because it's not easy to obey. Obedience is something we have to practice. Obedience is something that we must be very deliberate about. Whether we're talking about our children to to their parents, or whether we're talking about us to our government authorities, or whether we are talking about an employee to his employer, or whether we're talking about a Christian in the church or a Christian to God, obedience does not necessarily come easy, does it? We have our own desires. We have our own priorities. We have our own reasons. We can rationalize why the person that's asking us to do something doesn't really mean that or, or is not, doesn't really know what they're talking about or is not worthy. Uh, we can even rationalize the idea of, well, I'm not going to get caught, so what does it matter? But here's the thing. If obedience is a design issue, if obedience is a God issue, if this is not about whether or not you're going to get caught... If this is not just about whether or not uh, what, what someone's asking you to do might not be what you think is best, if this is about God's design, if this is about God's blessing, then it changes the whole perspective. Children, if you obeying your parents is not as much about you agreeing with what your parent is saying or wanting to do what your parent is asking, as it is about you pleasing the Lord and having God's blessing, well, then obedience takes on an entirely different meaning. Obedience actually then has nothing to do with your parent. It has nothing to do with whether they're having a good day or a bad day. It has nothing to do with whether or not what they're asking you to do is, is something uh, that, that you don't want to do. It has nothing to do with whether or not what they're asking you to do is your responsibility. Sometimes I'll tell my child, could you go wash the table? But it's so-and-so's week. Okay, it's so-and-so's week. Would you go wash the table, please? It has nothing to do with with those, those little elements of rationale as much as it has to do with pleasing God and obtaining God's blessing. You want that blessing, children. 
just as every Christian here should want that blessing, the blessing that comes with obeying our authorities. But it's hard to obey because at the very center of our hearts, the old man, the flesh, is rebellion, the desire to disobey our authorities. So then why should I obey if rebellion is what I want? Why should I even try? Because as Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 says, it is right. It's what God wants. To obey your parents is to obey God. It is just, it is fitting, it is appropriate. Not because your parent is a good parent. Not because your authority makes the right decisions all the time. Not because your authority even has, not, not even because you, you, you're trusting that your authorities have your best interests in heart. I hope that you can trust that your parents want what's best for you. I hope that you want to be able to trust your parents because your parents have shown themselves trustworthy and that they love you. Even if they're asking you to do things you don't want to do, you can trust that it's what's best for you. I hope that you can believe that. But even if you can't, that's not really what this verse is saying obedience is about. You don't obey your parents for their sakes. You obey your parents for God's sake. Obey your parents in the Lord. Just as the wife is supposed to submit to her own husband in the Lord. And the husband is supposed to love his wife as Christ loves the church. We are doing these things for God's sake. To obtain God's blessing. Not just so that my parent doesn't get angry at me and, and, and discipline me. Not just so that they can get off my back and stop nagging me about it. I obey for God's sake. Children, it is right for you to obey your parents. This is what God wants. Whether or not you like what your parent is asking you to do, whether or not you agree with what your parent is asking you to do, God wants you to obey them for Him, not for them. And because you love God, if you love God, because you love God, you should obey your parents. Now this brings up another very important question. If I am obeying my authority, in this case parents, we could say boss or husband or, or, or government or whatever it might be. If I'm obeying them in the Lord, what happens when my authority asks me to do something with which God would not be pleased? What happens when my authority says, do something that the Bible says not to do? What should I do if my authority asks me to disobey God? We have a lesson in the Bible about this, and that lesson is found in Acts chapter 5. In Acts 5, the church had just begun, and the disciples, disciples were filling Jerusalem with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were all over the place. Of course, we know on the day of Pentecost that uh, several thousand got saved, and they were spreading throughout Jerusalem, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching His resurrection. They were in the temple complex, particularly the apostles were there in the temple, and they were preaching the word of God. And for this, because uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders of Israel, did not like this, seeing that they had just killed Jesus and were hoping that his, his doctrines would die with him, they arrested the apostles and they put them in prison. Now the Bible tells us that that evening, that night, the angel of the Lord came uh, to that prison and he released them. He let them out of prison. He released them from their chains. He released them from, from the bars. And he told them that the next day they were to continue to go back into the temple and to continue telling people the gospel. Well, the next morning, the leaders were going to release them anyway. So they go to the prison to release them. And the, the men come back and say, there's no one in the prison. They're, they're, they're all gone. And the leaders say, we'll go find them. And when they went to look for them, uh, they found them. And this is where we pick up. Uh, they found them back in the temple preaching the gospel. We pick up here in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, where the Bible says this. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in, in this name? That would be Jesus' name. And, your, and behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. 
Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So the government leaders, they seem to kind of ignore the fact that the apostles weren't in jail anymore. They didn't even ask them about that. They found them in the temple. They bring them, they rearrest them. They bring them back to the, the, the council and they say, look, we thought we told you to stop preaching this man's name, to stop filling Jerusalem with your doctrine. And Peter and the apostles respond with this very direct statement, we ought to obey God rather than men. See, the angel of the Lord had just commanded them to continue spreading the gospel. And so on this issue, Peter and the apostles had a set of reasoning which we take into every authority relationship that we have, which is this. When my authority is asking me to do something that is contrary to the word of God, in that request, I disobey God for the sake of obeying man, uh, for, for, or I disobey God. Uh, I disobey man for the sake of obeying God. I disobey my earthly authority for the sake of obeying my heavenly authority. See, in every other context, obeying my heavenly authority is obeying my earthly authority. But when my earthly authority contradicts my heavenly authority, I continue to obey my heavenly authority. That's the road that I trod. When those two roads are in line with one another. Now, that doesn't mean my earthly authority is doing good things, but as long as he's not asking me to disobey the word of God, I, I am under his authority and those roads are together. When, when my authority says disobey the word of God, the, my authority's road diverges from the Lord's road and I follow the Lord's road and I disobey my earthly authority as it relates to that request. If your parents ask you to do something that is contrary to the Bible, that is contrary to God's word, that is the only time that God sanctions you, child, to disobey your authority because you are obeying your parents in the Lord. You are obeying your husband in the Lord, wives. You are obeying your government in the Lord, citizen. You are obeying your church the, the leadership in your church, in the Lord. And so where there is a divergence between the Lord's commands and your authority's commands, you obey the Lord. But here's the other element of that. You obey the Lord and you willingly accept the consequences that come with that. You follow the Lord and that's going to probably mean some measure of consequences. So you do what's right, you obey the Lord, and you accept the consequences at hand. Now, Lord willing, children, you're not going to have any of these in your home. By God's grace, most of the children here are under parents who love them and who desire them to obey the Lord. And you're not going to come to a situation with your parents where they're going to ask you to disobey the word of God in order to obey them. And if that is you, children, if you are in a situation where you would never anticipate your parents asking you to do something that is contrary to the word of God, be very thankful because there, you are among very few in this world who can say that your parents are godly parents who truly want you to do what is right at, uh, above all else. So this is our guidance for the authorities in our lives. God tells us to obey our authorities up until the point where our authorities would ask us to do something that is contrary to the word of God. Children, thank God if you have godly parents who want you to do what is right. Now the next command that we come to in Ephesians chapter 6 is in verse 2. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The second command here, honor thy father and mother and then parenthetically, which is the first commandment with promise. Children, we, we are called not only to obey our parents, but you are called to honor them as well. If obedience is doing what you are told, when you are told to do it, honoring your parents is aligning your heart with them and doing it with a willing heart. It is a right heart attitude, not just toward your parents' commands, but a right heart attitude toward your parents. Children, you need to understand that you are blessed to have parents. God has given you those parents. They may not be the best parents, but God has given you those parents. Now, in our midst, as I just mentioned, our children are 
doubly blessed because your parents are a blessing to you to whatever degree they are. That's a rare thing in society. Functional families are becoming rare in society. Families that would protect their children, lead their children unto the Lord, guide them in the way that is right. These are rare things. Thank God for that, children. Be thankful. I meet people in the jail every week who had very bad parents. I interact with any number of people whose parents are in prisons and jails right along with them. Children, you have parents who love you and care for you and teach you and help you and pray for you and encourage you and protect you. You are among the most blessed children in all the world. I'm not exaggerating. The young people here this morning are among some of the most blessed young people in the world to have family and home situations that you do. But even if you don't, even if the parents aren't great, even if they don't have good character, and then even after perhaps you, you're, you're outside of the realm of their direct authority and obedience to them, God tells us that parents are worthy of our honor. That word there meaning to prize or to value or to hold in high esteem. They are worthy of your value. They, are, they deserve to be valued by you. For you to think well of them, to speak well of them, not to be unkind to them, not to seek to harm them, not to mistreat them. Now, to honor your parents does not mean that your parents are perfect. And it does not mean that you, that you cannot acknowledge their faults. It doesn't. It does not mean that you cannot acknowledge uh, that, that, that your parents have made mistakes. That is not dishonoring your parents. Just as I am called to honor the king, I can honor President Trump without acknowledging, while simultaneously acknowledging the areas where I disagree with him or where I think he's doing a bad job. There, there, there's not a conflict there. To honor someone does not mean that you have to be their yes man. To honor someone does not mean that you have to, to, to fawn over them or, or kiss their ring or, 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 or never see fault in them or never acknowledge fault in them. That's not what it means to honor someone. To honor someone simply means to value them, to hold them in high esteem, to recognize that your parents have been given to you by God. And it was not a mistake. And because they are God's they are the parents that God has appointed over you. They have a position of respect, of, of esteem, of value in your eyes. Doesn't, you don't have to acknowledge that they were good parents if they aren't. You don't have to acknowledge that, you don't have to pretend as though they did everything right when they didn't. But it does mean that you're going to respect them because they are your parents. You're going to treat them well. You're going to help them. You're going to give their advice a fair hearing, even if you don't agree, because they are your parents. Honoring them is not pretending that they're something that they are not or that they weren't. But honoring them is respecting the position that God gave them over you. And we do this because when you do this, God is well-pleased. Now, before we dig deeper into this command, let me encourage everyone who is in this room to perk your ears just a little bit more. When we speak of obeying parents, as I've mentioned, we understand this to be an extension of parental authority, an authority which doesn't last forever. There is a time in one's life, and the Bible speaks explicitly, the only explicit time that the Bible speaks to is marriage, whereby a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves unto his wife, and they too become one flesh. And at that moment, we recognize that the, the man and the woman who have united themselves in marriage have formed a new and a separate family unit and that they are no longer under the direct authority of their parents. Now, there's also a time in our culture where many parents release their children from their authority. 
Sometimes it's at 18. Sometimes it's when they move out of the house. Uh, it could be in any number of circumstances. It might be different for young men as opposed to young women. Uh, but there is often a time among parents in culture, in our culture, where a parent will look at their child and say, you are your own person now. I'm releasing you from my authority. I'm releasing you from the obligation to obey me directly. There is oftentimes a time where that authority, where that direct authority of your parents over you ends. And it is natural and expected that at that point you will make your own decisions. You will no longer be obligated to the direct obedience of their decisions. And you're going to make your decisions. You're going to hear their advice. You might take it. You might not. And that's understandable. But it is As we look in the scriptures and we see this idea of, uh, of obeying the parents and that, that release at some point, what we don't see is any place where the command, the biblical command to honor your parents is limited or ends. To honor your parents is a divine expectation that we never see an ending to in any command in the scriptures. That our value for our parents ought never depart whether you have bad parents, whether you have good parents, the obligation to honor them still holds. Even if your parents are deceased, they are your parents. Their memory has the right to your honor. To honor your parents does come with some expectations. Now, before I, uh, some of you know this, before I will marry a couple, one of the things I require is that the couple honor their parents by obtaining their permission and blessing to get married, both sides. I've seen what happens when this doesn't happen. I've seen what happens when parents say, yeah, go ahead and do whatever you want, but I'm not for it. I don't want it, but go ahead. And I've seen uh, how many times that has gone bad. <clears throat> and the reason why I think this has happened in any number of contexts is because while they are going into that marriage, they are going outside of their parents' blessing. They are going outside of uh, what, what God has ordained the parent to do, which is to guide and to advise the child. And so they're lacking an element of God's blessing that comes with it. Now, it is right in a parent's latter years, as we see, as I talk about the expectations of honoring parents, I think that is a part of honoring parents that when a person gets married, they have their parents' blessing. I also think it's a part of honoring parents as we see it in the scripture where the Bible speaks about caring for their own, caring for those of their own household, that in the latter years that children do what is necessary to take care of their parents, to make sure their parents are provided for, to make sure they are cared for just as they cared for the children in their younger years. It's right and appropriate for children to care for their parents in the time when their parents are in need of care. In a society which would seek to remove children from that inconvenience through putting parents in uh, elderly care facilities or, or through not helping them in the ways... And, and medically, of course, there are times where you need to put, put parents in care facilities and such. But in a society that has, by and large... Uh, shifted to where our society sees parents in their, in their later years when they're in need of help as a burden and as an inconvenience rather than as a responsibility and a privilege. In the Word of God, what we find is that one of the elements by which we can honor our parents is to help them just as they once helped us. So there are some expectations as it relates to honoring our parents, as it relates to this idea of holding them in esteem, expectations which we see play out throughout the word of God and which are right and which are good, seeking our parents' blessing, understanding uh, that, that our parents are our ordained authority to protect us and to guide us, uh, helping them in their latter years of their life. For if a man care not for those of his own house, he is worse than an infidel we find in Thessalonians. But we also find, and this is important, we find that the, the obligation of honoring our parents doesn't just come with some expectations. Children, it also comes with promises. 
Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, which is the first commandment with promise. And the first commandment with promise is hearkening back to Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, within the Ten Commandments, we read this. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. This is the, the only one of the Ten Commandments that comes with a direct promise. And it's a very plain command. It comes with a very plain promise. If the nation of Israel would honor their father and mother, their days would be long upon the land. Now, there is a little bit of a debate as to what that means, that their days would be long upon the land. Does it mean that each individual person would have long life if they honor their parents? Does it mean that the nation of Israel would exist for a long time upon their land, that they would live long upon the land? Uh, Would it mean that the individuals uh, who do obey their parents would thus see a rollover to multi-generational preservation in the land so that as I obey my parents and honor my parents, then I can expect there to be a fruitful blessing upon my family and upon my children, upon my children's children, and upon their children's children. And all of these are are potentials, uh, um, answers to that question. And perhaps one of the reasons why we see a little bit of a difference between Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and this promise, honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3, where his promise is that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long upon the earth, is because Paul is not actually quoting Exodus 20 in in Ephesians chapter 6. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, Moses is reiterating the command that was given on Mount Sinai. And Deuteronomy is more or less, we might say, Moses' final sermon uh, to the people of Israel. And he writes this in Deuteronomy 5, 16. Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee that thy days may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And here we see, as we read these two promises, that it does seem as though there is a multi-generational aspect to this promise. That as you honor and obey your parents in the land that that has been given to you, your, your days will be prolonged in the land and it will be well with you in the land. And this leads us back to Paul and what he says in Ephesians chapter 6. These two promises, the first, wellness, the second, longevity. How certain are these promises of wellness? Notice that each one is that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long upon the earth. It is not, uh, either in the Greek or in the Hebrew, a, a definitive command. It's not a it shall be without fail, but the idea is more of a principled command that as we do these things, as we honor our father and mother, that there is a, we are positioning ourselves for wellness. We are pos- positioning ourselves for uh, continued success. And I think that we all understand that to some degree or another. We need to be careful that we're not imposing too dogmatic of an expectation upon the nature of this verse, at least as it relates to long life. We would presume that there are any number of people who have honored their parents whose lives have been cut short by some tragedy or another. Indeed, as we look uh, most certainly at martyrdom, we know that there were many a godly man and a woman who were martyred early. We could call that an exception to the rule, perhaps even an exception that proves the rule. But I think we would be hard-pressed to say that every single elderly person on the earth was someone who honored their parents properly, and that every single person who dies young is a person who has not. To that end, we would generally understand this to be a principle with the language in question, relating itself that as you obey your parents, as you honor your parents, uh, there will be a general wellness. You're, you're not just um, respecting them, but you're listening to them. They have experience. They have knowledge. It's going to see you through this life. Uh, the, reflecting the Proverbs idea that Solomon gives, where he um, compels his children to, to regard the wisdom of their father and to regard the wisdom of their mother, knowing that their father and their mother, that in their wisdom there will be health and there will be wellness and 
there will be length of days and that there will be these promises. But as I say all of that, let me make something very clear. While we must, and I think it's right to regard this pro- these promises in a sense of generality. In other words, that we're not talking about dogmatic, you honor your parents, you will, you'll, you'll live long uh, without fail. You'll have a long life without fail. While we are understanding there to be a broad principle here that says that as you honor and obey your parents, uh, you will reap the benefit of their knowledge and you will find in that a measure of success. There is without question a spiritual promise here whereby the Bible is saying that God will divinely bless those that honor their parents, that God will divinely bless those who learn to align with authority, that when you place this value upon your parents, when you honor them, when you do right by them as your God-ordained authority, that God will bless you for that. And if the Spirit of God will commend anything to your hearts today, I pray that it will be this deep and overwhelming desire to have that blessing of God upon your life. And so Paul says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long upon the earth. When we pair the natural blessings that come from alignment with our authority and and regarding their wisdom and regarding uh, their direction with the God, the, the divine blessing of God upon those who would honor their parents and obey their authorities. There's a promise that we want to tap into in our lives. Now, in our remaining time today, I want to take this idea of honoring one step farther. And I want to talk to our children about something which goes a little bit outside of parents, but which I really wanted to get in to this series, and I felt like this was probably the most appropriate place to do it. I want to talk about the advantages of multi-generations and about having a respect for those that have gone before, about respecting your elders. It has always been the case in every generation that young people are convinced that they know more than those who have gone before them, that young people are convinced that they know more than their parents, that they know more than their grandparents. This is not unusual. This is not outside of the norm. Every generation uh, deals with this. Every generation, the young people, they, they begin to grow up, they get their own ideas, they, their mind begins to open to the world around them, and they start to believe that they know a bunch of stuff and that they know more than the generations before them. It is not uncommon that generations, uh, that younger people perceive their parents or their grandparents to be out of touch, uh, that their ideas are stuck in the old world, they're stuck in traditions, and that they simply don't understand. In our age, this perception is perhaps more convincing than at other times in history. Uh, It is not uncommon for me to be on the phone for a couple of hours with my dad trying to fix his computer from several hundred miles away uh, because there is a generation gap as it relates particularly to technology. The tremendous changes in our society over the past 25 years have put uh, young people who are naturally inclined to think that they know everything at the advantage, particularly as it relates to things such as technology, where uh, young people are looking at their parents, and whereas a young person would normally say, based upon ideas and such, my parents are out of touch and they don't know anything, then they see things such as technology that are just flying by parents, and they say, yeah, they really don't know anything, because they're seeing how fast things are moving. Now, most of the advances in technology, the reason why the older generations have not been fast to pick them up is not because they're not capable, but it's because most of the the advances in technology over the past 25 years have not necessarily helped people have a better life. They've only caused people to live life in a different way. Things like social media are an interesting and new form of engagement, but they don't actually make things better. They just make things different. And so the adults who have lives to live, 
who are looking at the time-consuming elements of learning technology say, is this technology going to make life easier or better for me? And if it doesn't, then why should they bother? They're, they're, they're doing just fine as it is. So it's not because they can't pick it up. It's just because it's not a priority to them. And to this typical disconnect between the younger and the older generations, we then have this other problem, which is that in the last 150 years or so, everything's been age segregated, right? And so we have pockets, generational pockets that are growing up with individual fads based upon the actual age of the people that are engaging because there's no interaction between the age groups. Add to these things the fact that nearly every child-centric television show and movie, video game for the past 30 years has preached the message that children know everything and parents know nothing. Have shown that children disobey their parents their parents say, don't do that. The children do it, and it all works out in the end, and the parent, parents end up looking dumb, and the children end up looking smart. And so now we live in a society where, because particularly of technology and media, the gap between the older generation and the younger generation, not just in knowledge and experience, but in respect, is very, very wide. But God's word gives us a very different perspective on how we ought to regard those who are in the generations that have gone before us. And we find two verses in Proverbs that ought to perk our ears as it relates to the generations that have gone by. In Proverbs 16, verse 31, the Bible says this, The hoary head is a crown of glory, if it be found in the way of righteousness. And in Proverbs 20, 29, the Bible says, The glory of, a young man, of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is the gray head. Now, the word hoary here in our King James Bibles means white or gray with age. Proverbs tells us that when a man has been found in the way of righteousness, the white hair upon his head is a glory to him. And then we read that statement in Proverbs twenty twenty nine that just as the glory of a young man is his strength, so too the beauty of old men is their gray head. Now, these are interesting statements, are they not? See, strength does have some measure of glory because when a person is strong, it means you can do stuff, right? You, can, you, you have some measure of glory in the fact that you can pick things up that other people can't pick up, that you can lift things that other people can't lift, that you can push things that other people can't push. There's some measure of, of material glory in that. But what is the glory of white hair? It's not as if as you start growing more white hair, you get more power or you get more authority intrinsically or whatever the case may be. So what is the glory of white hair? Well, the point of the word of God is that white hair is a badge of honor because it means that a man has lived through some stuff, that he's gone from youth to adult to elder. It means he's seen some things. It means he's done some things. It means he knows some things. And particularly, as Proverbs 16.31 says, if a man has been found in the way of righteousness, if a man has been found in the way of righteousness, and he has a full head of white hair, we're speaking metaphorically here, if you meet a man who is an older man, who has walked in the way of righteousness, you ought to see that man as extremely valuable. See, because we all navigate this life, and there is not one person navigating this life who is going to get it all right. Not one person. And one of the blessings of life is that you're not the first one to have gone through anything. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, right? And so we have any number of people who have already lived through stuff, who have already experienced things in the past, who have experienced things in culture, who have experienced things in their lives, who have, who have experienced financial decisions, who have experienced... Um, the, the, the marriage, who have experienced child rearing, 
who have experienced these things so that when you're sitting there saying, I just don't know what to do, there is probably someone you know who's been through it already who can tell you at least what not to do and quite possibly what to do. I've gone fishing a few times now with Greg and some men up in Canada. And on the boat, we had all sorts of gadgets for the lake. There's electronic equipment with topographical maps and depth charts and all of those interesting things. But one of the things that has become apparent to me in the times that, that, that I've gone with people that have this sort of equipment, and particularly uh, as we've, we've gone and fished in Canada, is that there's not a lot of things that can replace someone that just knows the lake. You can, you can read up on where the fish are biting. You can have all of the depth charts. You can have all of that stuff. But having someone on your boat that knows where the fish are, that knows where they're biting, having someone on your boat that knows where the things that are going to chew up your, your, your uh, rotors and all of that, no, having someone there that knows that stuff is invaluable. You really can't do better than having someone that knows this stuff better than you. And that's what the elders are supposed to be. Whereas young people can have some measure of confidence in their own ability to reason and judge and navigate this life, and, and no doubt our young people are capable, there's no one better to help you through the trials and the difficulties of life than having someone who's been through it before guide you. Along these same lines, we see in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28. Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. We see this as an actual command in the law. But in Proverbs, we see it as a proverbial mark of wisdom. Landmarks were the fences of the day. You would not necessarily fence in your property, but what you would do is on the corners of your property and throughout, you'd place landmarks saying, this is the extent of my property. This is the extent of my land. They delineated uh, areas which people set up to, to mark important things in the land or the extent of their properties. Proverbs exhorts us as a matter of wisdom, not just as a matter of legal of, of, of legal uh, uh, order, but as a mark of wisdom, not to remove the landmarks that were set up by our fathers, not to simply tear things down that others have put up. Now, being young is often very much about change and idealism and energy. We see things, we see the problems and we want them to be better. This is not uncommon. As a matter of fact, every generation goes through this. This is the pendulum swing. We see it in the church. We see it in society. We see in the church a, a time where, where there was a tremendous liberalism. Um, I, I often remark, uh, we haven't sung it in some time now, but the, that song, The Old Fashioned Way. You call me old-fashioned because I believe that the Bible is God's holy word. And that song, The Old Fashioned Way, was written in like 1910, right? We, we, we often think of the early 1900s and say, oh, back when they believed the Bible. Well, here's the thing. There was a swing toward believing the Bible in the early 1900s, and it was a swing away from a very strong push to say that the Bible is archaic and should not be believed in the late 1800s. And there was that major swing toward uh, holiness and obedience. And then there was a swing back, and, and the church is doing this, and society is doing this, and young people, this is what we do. We swing because we see what's wrong, and we idealistically are ready to change it, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But one of the things that we have a tendency to do, young people, is we tend to kind of tear everything down because we don't like something. We reinvent the wheel. We start from scratch. We, we, do a, we throw the baby out with the bathwater, as the expression goes. Young people, remember that history did not begin when you were born. And that reason and logic did not begin with you and your peers. The things which are 
are there because the people that have gone before made them that way, often in their youth and in their vigor. In their time of idealism, in their time of excitement, they made things that way. Now, that doesn't intrinsically mean that they're good. There are things that need to be torn down. There are things that need to be built that aren't built yet. But it does mean that they should be, that these things should be approached with respect. And before you make a decision about them, you need to understand them well. It was G.K. Chesterton who once wrote this. In the matter of reforming things, as distinct from deforming them, there is one plain and simple principle, a principle which will probably be called a paradox. There exists in such case a certain institution or law, let us say for the sake of simplicity, a fence or a gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes gaily to the, uh, up to it and says, I don't see a use for this. Let us clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, if you don't see a use for it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then when you come back and tell me that you do see a use for it, I may allow you to destroy it. Before you go about tearing down the things that have been passed down to you, figure out why it was there to begin with. See, because there is a reason and it is quite possible that that reason is done and over with. In our circles, independent Baptist circles, we have any number of unique elements in, in the past 50 years of our history. Uh, when I went to, to college, uh, it was led by some people who were, were, were quite old, and they were still fighting some generational battles which had passed away. We, we were, they were still fighting a battle against genes, and against playing cards, and against things which no longer have the same connotations as they may have had in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Battles which at one time had a relevance and a usefulness, but which have since passed away. But you don't tear down the fence until you know why it was put up to begin with. See, because the principle that undergirds some of the standards that no longer are important to us, the principle that undergirds those standards is the same, I mean, we're, we're fighting that same battle today. The battle for separation. The battle for truth. These things don't go away. It's just the manner in which that battle is being fought has changed. And then we have to decide, has, is the manner of that, that battle changed because we have compromised or is it changed simply because these are not things which the culture will see as a problem anymore, which Christian culture can't be a part of anymore. Those are decisions we have to make, but young people, you can't make those decisions until you know why they were there to begin with. And that comes from having a honor and a respect for those who have gone before you, being willing to listen to them, being willing to understand why they believe what they believe, being willing to glean from the fruit of their experiences. Instead of just throwing it all away, and boy, are we in a culture that our young people today are just ready to throw everything that has been taught to them away. Now, the New Testament has a unique relationship with the concept of elders. On the one hand, the whole of the New Testament is devoted to a dramatic change where the traditions of the elders in Israel were actually needed to be torn down because they were corrupted, right? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 Peter writes, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation re received by tradition from your fathers. So Peter literally says that everything you learned from your parents as far as their traditions are concerned were misguided and uh, to that extent you understand that everything they taught you about why those traditions exist uh, needs to be reformed in your mind. Now it's important to understand. The Jewish believers did not tear down the institutions of the law. They only reconfigured what they meant in their mind. And yet simultaneously, we are exhorted to understand the legacy of those who have gone by so that after an entire chapter of considering the legacy of these men and women, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about, we also, excuse me, are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 
So then in Hebrews chapter 12, we see Paul invoke the faithfulness of those who have gone before to be our example for us to follow in their footsteps. That cloud of witnesses, that is the legacy of those who have already run this race. Young people, there are men and women in this room who have run their race with patience. They have experienced some things. They have gone through some things. And instead of running to your friends who know about as much as you do, and probably less, why not run to the people who know things, who have seen some things, who have been a few places, who have made the mistakes already, and who can tell you, no, don't do that. I did that, and I suffered for it. it takes humility. It takes respect. But it is the legacy of those who have gone by that compels us to continue the race, to pass the baton. That's what we talked about last week. That's what I was telling parents to do last week. You are passing this faith to the next generation. Young people, you are carrying this faith into the next generation. That's a big deal. And if the last generation made it through, made it successfully, if the last generation carried that baton... And they have, in the way of righteousness, come to the end of their course successfully. You need to learn from them. Never forget, young people, that we all stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before. You know those computers that we all have in our pockets that the previous generation barely understands? Never forget that it was their generation that invented it. When you read in your history books about those wars which established the security and the freedoms that we enjoy today, don't forget there was a generation that fought in that war to secure those freedoms. Those documents which formed the very basis of all of the prosperity that we have today, the Constitution, Bill of Rights, Declaration of Independence, those things which all of the young people today are saying are so misguided and don't make any sense, even though they're living off of the fruit of the prosperity of those very documents, don't think that those guys didn't have something to say that we can learn from. But more important than all of these, when it comes to your spiritual life, when it comes to doctrinal teaching, even when it relates to church traditions, we need to have a genuine, a deep, and an authentic respect for the legacy of those who have gone before us. They were once young and idealistic too. Don't, don't lift yourself so high in your own mind that you forget of the vast quantity of precedent that we have of people who have gone before us. Listen to your elders, young people. Respect what they have to say. Seek them out for wisdom and for understanding. They are an invaluable resource which you need in regard to your life. Let them help you avoid the mistakes that they made. Let them inspire you to take important steps even if you don't fully understand them. You may know that there are some things that need to change. But, you know, if you listen to your elders, if you listen to what they have to say, if you see something and you say, I think that needs to change, and you go up to your elders and you ask them about it and you get them to defend all the reasons why they believe it should stay in place, and you get all of that information, either you're going to be tempered in your understanding of why it's there and maybe it's worth keeping, or you're going to become more convinced that it needs to go away. Either way, that information is invaluable to you. You may not agree with them all the time. That's fine. But you not only do a disservice to them, but you do a disservice to yourself if you are not deeply respecting the life, the wisdom, and the legacy of those who have made it through life successfully. And this is what Proverbs tells us. This is wisdom. And I guess what I'm trying to say, young people, is that you need to listen. Make a point of honoring the experience of those who have lived much longer than you have. We've talked through three things today. We began with honoring your parents as unto the Lord. This is a biblical command that comes with God's blessing because it's right. 
Then honoring your parents. Honoring your parents is something that, that lasts until the day you die. It never goes away. You, you give them the honor that is due unto them. You uphold them because they are your parents. You respect them for the position that God has given over them. And then we take it that one step fa- farther that we respect our elders. Those that have run this race with patience. Making a point of honoring them. Not being so hasty to think that you have all the answers, that you know all the facts, that you have it all under control, that you forget to ask those who have gone before. Now, it's always possible to go down that path and to learn those same lessons and to reinvent the wheel and to learn things the hard way. And maybe, just maybe, if you listen a little bit, you can gain a few insights. You can be warned about a few pitfalls. Maybe if you keep the wisdom of past generations in place instead of tearing it down, you'll be able to understand why it was there to begin with and maybe even learn how to appreciate it for what it is. Children, you may not have all of the responsibilities of adulthood and all of the cares that go along with it. You may not pay the bills and have to deal with insurance and and food and all of that. But being a child is, is... not necessarily easy. It's hard, in fact, because there's so much for you to learn. It matters so much because the early years of your life are the formative years. These things will matter in the future. The time and the energy that you have today to invest in your own future is greater in the years of your childhood than any other time in life. And if you want to prepare for excellence in your life, this is how you can do it. You obey your parents in the Lord because it is right. Thus invoke God's blessing upon your learning and upon your your growth. You honor your parents, which comes with promises that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long upon the earth. That you will find not just general blessing, but again, you are invoking God's blessing. And third, respect your elders because it is wise. Not tearing down the landmarks that they built just because you don't understand them not regarding them as obsolete just because they don't see things as you do, not dishonoring the very foundation upon which you have been built and your thinking has been built. And children, if you can do this, you will be prepared for a life of excellence for the glory of the Lord and for your best good. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.